Spirit, a third person of the Godhead. And I think in many ways, this is the series of messages that I came here to teach. And so I'm really, really excited to get to share these things with you. It's going to take us a little bit to get uh, where I want to go, but I love that song Casey just did. Um, I've never heard that. It's an amazing song. Um, one of the most important revelations that you can ever have is that it's, it's okay not to understand everything. And uh, in the midst of not understanding everything, in the midst of mystery, I can still trust and know that God's good and that God is for me. As long as we have to understand everything before we are willing to experience things, we'll always be limited in what we experience in God. So I just want to encourage you that as we go through this series of teaching, um, we're going to experience some things and some things are going to happen that may be outside of, of uh, what, what some of you have experienced before. And I'm going to do everything I can to explain all these things to you, but I just want to encourage you that even if you don't fully understand everything that, that happens over the next several weeks, you don't have to understand to participate. Okay? And, uh, but I, I, I have um, grace, and I understand people that are wired that way, and so I want, I want to help you understand. So we're going to just go on a journey um, talking about the Holy Spirit. He's really probably the most misunderstood person of, of the Trinity. I remember when uh, I was a little boy, I was in church, and one time my mom went and was, was at this church, and she said something to somebody there about, about the Holy Spirit, and everybody kind of gave her a really weird look. And uh, after that, somebody pulled her aside and said, well, we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit here. And, uh, and my mom said, well, isn't, she, she was real, just real naive, and she, well, isn't he God? <laughs> Why don't we, this is church, right? Don't we talk about God at, at church, and, and the reason they said is because uh, they'd, they'd heard some weird stories about people that focused on the Holy Spirit, and they were afraid that if they talked about Him, I guess, that He would jump on them or something, or do something weird, and, and all of a sudden everybody would, would uh, think they were a holy roller or something like that. And so, anyway, there's just a lot of, of misinformation and, and misunderstanding, so we're going to go slow and, and just talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. Some of this you might think, wow, this is, this is really deep, Pastor. Are you sure we need to go over this? But, but I, think, um, I think it's important. You know, Paul says in Philippians, uh, he says, for me, it's not grievous to tell you the same things over and over, but for you, it's safe. And so there's safety in being in a place where somebody will kind of go over the basics with you again and again. To, to keep us grounded. So we're going to go through this handout today. We're going to go on kind of an overview of who the Holy Spirit is and what kind of ministry He has, and then we'll dive into some other issues uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So we're really, really excited about what uh, God's going to do in our midst. So uh, we're just going to pretend like we've never heard about the Holy Spirit before, um, and so that many of you maybe haven't. And so who is He? Well, your first blank there is He's part of the Godhead or the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is, isn't in your Bible. You can't find it. You can't find it in your concordance. 
It's not anywhere in there. Nevertheless, the Trinity is a biblical concept. And so we believe at this church that we have one God, but he chooses to express himself through three different persons. And the Bible says that this is a mystery. And uh, it's one of those things that we don't fully understand how one God can be one and three people at the same time. Um, I've tried to explain it to my two-year-old. And when you realize, and you're trying to explain it to a two-year-old, you realize, man, I don't know that I understand that as well as I thought that I did, because uh, you have to make things really simple for a two-year-old. And um, Anyway, but he's, he's part of the Godhead or the Trinity, and there's many verses that establish the fact that there is a Trinity, but we'll read one of them. It's 1 Corinthians, excuse me, it's John 14, 16. And he says, uh, Jesus is talking, so Jesus is the Son, right? And he says, I will pray the Father, so there we have Father and Son, and he will give you another comforter. Now we find out later that that other comforter is the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. So right there in that verse, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so many of you are like, well, duh, I've believed in that for, for a long time. Um, or at least I've heard of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it's important to be able to look in your Bible and find where the people came up with this stuff. Because somebody originally came up with the, with the doctrine, right? Somebody got the original revelation. And you want to be able not just to, not just to parrot what, what you've heard pastors say, but it's important to be able to look in the Scripture and find where this understanding comes from. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is um, in the creeds. One of the, well, the oldest creed is this thing called the Apostles' Creed, which many of you have heard. Recently, they've made several songs about it. They kind of popularized it again. But it starts out, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. So I believe in God, the Trinity, the Father Almighty, the Father. And it says, Creator of heaven and earth. And it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then later on it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The reason this is important is because when the Bible was first written and the church was first formed, not everybody was literate. Not everybody could read, right? And so they established these creeds, these sayings that would communicate key doctrines and you could memorize them and you could pass them on to your kids. And so a lot of what we call orthodox Christianity or just basic doctrines about what we believe, it's, it's established by these creeds. Now, of course, it's also established by the Scripture, but it's, it's uh, I want you to know we believe in the Apostles' Creed, and really any, any Christian church should agree with, with that. Amen. So anyway, now it says in uh, John 14, 16, that not only is the Holy Spirit a member of the Trinity, but He is another comforter. That's how the Bible describes him. In the context here, Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's on his way to heaven. So he's leaving and the disciples are stressed out about the fact that he's leaving. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send you another comforter. Um, If you like writing in your Bible, it's a good idea to underline the word another because that's a really interesting word in the Greek. In the Greek, there are actually two different words that are translated another. If you turn over to Galatians, I'll show you this really quickly. So there are two different words. One is alos, A-L-L-O-S, and the other is heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S. Alos means another of the same kind. So it's like, it's like you know, you've got a dog, and here's another dog that's the same, right? There's another word, heteros, And it means, okay, I've got a dog and I've got a cat. 
I've got a, a, a dog and another animal of a different kind. Okay, and so in Galatians um, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, both of these words are used and it helps you understand. So Paul says in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. So the word for another there is heteros. So he's saying, I'm, I'm amazed that you're listening to an, an entirely different kind of teaching. Which is not another, in verse 7, and the word there is alos. So he's saying, I'm amazed you're listening to this other stuff that's not like what I taught you at all. That's what he's saying. Take that understanding back here to John, and in John 14, 16, he says, I will pray the Father, and He'll give you another comforter. The word there is alos, meaning of the same kind. So Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are stressing out because I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you somebody exactly like me. And so you don't need to fear, you don't need to question, and we don't have to worry as a modern-day church what it's like to have Jesus with us, because having the Holy Spirit with you is exactly like having Jesus with you. Your blank there is that, G that the Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. He's exactly like Jesus. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit, how He acts, what He thinks about, what His opinions are about different things, just look at the life of Jesus. The Holy Spirit always wears His WWJD bracelet, and He always knows what, thank you those of you that laughed at my corny joke, but, but he, he just does whatever Jesus does. Does that make sense to you? Now turn over to John chapter 16, because here we have Jesus describing what the Holy Spirit is going to do on the earth uh, when he gets here. Now, he lived in Jesus and he rested temporarily on different people in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament... He was going to come, and He did come, in a very different way and lives permanently on the inside of believers. Amen. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt inside a, a tent called a tabernacle, and then it dwelt in a temple. Uh, but now in the New Testament, He lives forever on the inside of believers, and so it's a, a different level of God's presence being with us. And so Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit in uh, John 16. Uh, verse 8 through 12. Let's, let's read these verses, and then I'm going to bring some clarity about, about what this is talking about. So, it says, When the Holy Spirit has come, in verse 8, He will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. All right. You're blank there, number two. The Holy Spirit is your comforter, not your accuser. Many people have looked at this passage of Scripture and have gotten a wrong impression about what the Holy Spirit's function is on the earth. And they thought that basically what the Holy Spirit does is follow you around and point out all the stuff that you're doing wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, well, just imagine, if I were to follow you around, if somehow I could go to your job with you, and I could be at your house, 
And all I did was just stand behind you, and every time you did something wrong, I said, boy, that was a mistake. Boy, you really blew it there. Shouldn't have done that. I'd have done that differently. If I did that, would we have a very positive relationship? No. No. (laughs) You wouldn't like me very much at all. And many people don't like the Holy Spirit very much (laughs) because they've been told that this is essentially what the Holy Spirit is doing, is He's wandering around telling you about all the things that you have done wrong. But that's not actually what this is saying. The Bible calls Him your comforter. And he calls, in Revelation, he calls the devil the accuser. So the Holy Spirit's not your accuser, he's your comforter. The Holy Spirit makes you feel better. The devil makes you feel worse. And many times we confuse the two. So what is Jesus saying when he says that he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Well, when the Bible If you go back to John 14, it's really clear, but I won't do this in the interest of time. But when the Bible talks about the world, is it it talking about people that know Jesus or people that don't know Jesus? It's talking about people that don't know Jesus. He doesn't know Him. So it's saying there's, there's people that are called the world. They don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit has a specific ministry to those people. Everybody with me here? So what does he do for people that don't know Jesus? Well, he convicts them. Now, the word convict is misunderstood a lot of times. It literally means to convince or to persuade. It does not mean to make you feel bad. When I was growing up, we always talked about how God was convicting us. And I was convicted all the time. And I'm so convicted. Are you convicted? Yeah, I'm convicted. I was really convicted by that message. How do you know everybody was convicted? Well, because we were all down at the altar crying about how, how terrible we were. Okay, but the word convicted does not mean make you feel bad. It means to convince you of something. And what does it mean to convince you of something? Well, it says he's going to convince the world of sin. Now, does it say he's going to convince the world of their sins, like a whole bunch of sins? It says, I'm going to convince them of sin, singular. Why? Because they don't believe in me. So the Holy Spirit, his, his major function towards people that don't know Jesus is to convince them yes. that they're a sinner and that they need a Savior. Because they don't believe on Jesus. So that's, that's, that's what he's doing. He's not wandering around saying, boy, you, you sure are terrible, and you, you need to quit doing this. And you, boy, I sure do hate it when, you, when you're mean to your spouse. And he's not, he's not the, the accuser telling you about all the negative things that you do. Okay, he's convincing the world that they need a Savior. And then it says he's convincing them of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So the Holy Spirit... Now, all those of you that are born again, whether you realize it or not, you went through these steps. Okay? You became aware of the fact that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior. And then you became aware of the fact that the way to get right with God is through Jesus. The Holy Spirit convinced you that righteousness comes because Jesus went to His Father. And then it says that he's going to convince them of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, there's a lot of uh, 
prophets of doom and things. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but a lot of Christians believe God is mad, and so they're mad. And so they're excited about God's going to judge this person, and God's going to judge this city, and, and you know, there's all this judging that's, that's going to come. But does, does the Bible say here that the Holy Spirit is, is telling everybody about how, how your person you don't like is going to be judged? Does it say that? Who's, who's going to be judged here? Who's the prince of this world? Satan, the devil. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. So what does he do for unbelievers? He convinces them, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. The path to righteousness is through Jesus. And that guy, the devil that I've been serving, he's already been judged. He's a loser. And to serve him is foolish. So from this, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit, letter B, is not your conscience. He's not. Your conscience and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Now, I know that's counterintuitive to some people because sometimes people are told, anytime your conscience condemns you, that's God talking to you. But it's not. If I had more time, I'd I'd show you this in the Scripture. But in Romans 14, there's this issue where there are some people that believe it is a sin to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, this is, we don't have this problem nowadays, okay? But back when Paul was around, they, they had people that believed it was a sin to eat food sacrificed to idols, and they had other people that, that believed it didn't matter. And Paul said, you know what? It actually doesn't matter. But nevertheless, there were people that if they ate the food sacrificed to the idols, they'd feel bad about it, even though it wasn't a sin. That proves that your conscience is something different than God. Similarly, we don't have the the, uh, food sacrifice to idols issue today. But in our culture, uh, you know, we have this drinking issue. Now, if you search the Bible, you cannot find a verse that says it's bad to drink alcohol. In fact, Jesus drank alcohol. He didn't turn the, the, the water into sparkling grape juice. Okay, he did. It was real. It was real alcohol. Nevertheless, there's there's many people, and I'm I'm sort of in this thing that that for us, if if I drank alcohol, my conscience would condemn me. Okay, and it's not God because because the Bible is clear. It's not wrong. Jesus didn't do it, or Jesus did it. But I made this commitment when I was about thirteen or fourteen. I knew I was going to be a minister, and I knew that that. If you're a minister and you're drinking all the time, there's a lot of people that don't listen to you. <laughs> and so I made this commitment, I'm just never going to drink alcohol. And I never have, except for one time that I went to this baptism and I, I drank like this little bitty amount of the communion wine. <laughs> and I felt bad about it. Now it was the communion wine. <laughs> it, was, it was celebrating Jesus' death. Was the Holy Spirit condemning me for that? No. No, what was condemning me? My conscience. My conscience. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 3. Verse 20 and 22. 
For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. So if, our heart, if, if, if my heart condemns me, if my conscience condemns me, God's greater than my heart and He knows all things. What does He know? He knows I've been justified by the blood of Jesus. He knows I'm righteous. He's not mad at me. He's not condemning me. But my heart might be. And so that's not good. And that's why the Bible talks about purging your conscience with the blood of Jesus. And so we'll talk about that at some other time. I've got to hurry a little bit. So let her see... Even though that uh, he's not your conscience, now some grace people have taken this way too far and said, well, the Holy Spirit, he'll never tell you anything you do wrong. And that's just silly. The Holy Spirit can point out areas where you need to grow. Did, 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 Paul, did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write all those letters? Yes. Is there correction in those letters? Did the Holy Spirit use Paul to bring correction to different churches and different people? Yes. Sure. But the way he does it, if you look over at Romans, 1, uh, Romans 6, here's the way to bring biblical correction. Okay, it's not, boy, you're a sorry person. You need to do better. That's not how, that's not how the Holy Spirit talks to us. That's how your conscience talks to you, maybe. That may be how the devil talks to you. But God says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, don't you know that's not part of your identity? Don't you know that's not who you are? So when Paul wrote to people, or when the Holy Spirit talked to people that were in sin and failure, his message was always, Listen, this thing you're doing right now, it's, it's contrary to who you are in Christ. It's not part of your identity. So quit acting in a way that's, that's opposite of who you are. So how do I tell the difference between conviction, and a, between the Holy Spirit convincing me or the Holy Spirit telling me to grow? How do I tell the difference between that and condemnation? I've got four simple things to help you. Do I feel discouraged or empowered? If something's talking to you, and it makes you want to quit. It makes you want to give up. And you feel discouraged by that voice. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's talking to you, even if He points out an area that you need to grow, you'll feel empowered to change. Because He'll say, you know, this area of weakness, that's really not who you are. You're amazing. I'll help you get out of that if you want. And then, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Because he's not, he's not tearing down my identity. He's, he's affirming it. That's actually number four. I skipped to that. Number four, is my identity in Christ being attacked or affirmed? Number two, do I feel guilty or do I feel grateful? When the Holy Spirit corrects you, you actually thank Him. Number three, do I want to run to God or from Him? God is such a good Father that when He corrects you, it strengthens your relationship. It doesn't create distance. When religion corrects you, it makes you want to run from God. Yes, 
So I stress all this because I want you to get a positive image of the Holy Spirit. He's not the bad guy. Amen. He's your best friend. In fact, he's, he's the most relentlessly positive person I've ever met. He's almost annoyingly positive. One time, I, one time the Holy Spirit corrected me about something. And here's the thing. Why does, why does the Holy Spirit correct you? Primarily, it's when you don't know you've messed up. Okay, most of the time you know if you've done something wrong, right? Because your conscience will condemn you. But, but if, if I don't know, then sometimes the Holy Spirit may need to bring it to my attention. So one time I got in this argument with this pastor. <laughs> and I was like, I'm right. I know I'm right. And I argued. And I'm going to get my point across. I'm going to be right. And, and afterwards, the Holy Spirit said, you know... You weren't really as right as maybe you thought <laughs> that, you, that you were, all right? But I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel like my identity in Christ was being attacked. I, I felt grateful, and I, I humbled myself. I called the pastor, and I apologized. And, and after that, I was upset. I was mad at myself that for I, because I'd, I'd handled that situation wrong. But I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, that was awesome. I'm so proud of you. And, and in that moment, because I'm dumb, I just, I was like, be quiet. I don't want to feel, I was like, I was like, I don't, I don't want to feel good about myself right now because I'm mad at me. But the Holy Spirit, he's just positive. Almost, again, almost annoyingly so. He's, he's proud of me in this moment where I'm mad at myself. So how does, how does the Holy Spirit see you? We won't turn to all these, but Colossians 2 verse 10 says that you are complete in Jesus. He sees you as already complete. I had this really, I've, I don't think I've told anybody this story. I had this weird, it wasn't weird, it was, it was powerful it, it, thing that happened. I was working for Andrew Womack answering phones uh, in his phone center. And all of a sudden I heard my name like really clearly. And I thought occasionally the, the people in charge would call out to you and stuff. And so I thought, I was looking around, I thought, who's, who's talking to me? And my friend was right here, and I said, I said, hey, did you hear that? You know, somebody just said my name, and, and he was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And, and then he just looked at me, and this guy was one of the most prophetic people I've ever met. So he said no, and then he just looked at me and looked way past me, and he just said you're really well known in heaven. And I thought, I thought what? <laughs> and um, he said, yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> That's how he talked to me. Yeah, dude, you're really well known in heaven. God wants you to know that. God, people know your name in heaven. And I thought, I thought well, that's, you know, something to think about. And, <laughs> and I, um, I was processing that, and God spoke to me about it and said, you know, I... I treat you and I see you as I'm outside of time. God's outside of time. And so he treats us not just how we are right now, but how we will be in eternity. He sees us as already complete. We see ourselves in process. He sees us as complete. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you're a new creation, so the Holy Spirit sees that. So he's not pointing his finger and, and saying, you aren't good enough and all this stuff. He's, he's reminding you of your righteousness, of who you really are. Letter C, he sees you after the Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Paul says, it's illegal for you guys to look at each other and identify each other after, after your, your flesh. Well, how many of you believe that, that the Holy Spirit obeys His own commandments? So is the Holy Spirit looking at your outward actions and, and identifying you after that? No, He knows you after the inside, after the real you. And then Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So this is really some, some basic stuff, but I just want you to get this picture. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's, he's God here on the earth. And He comes to live on the inside of you when you accept Jesus, and He's not there to, to be a stick in the mud and to point out all the things you're doing wrong. That's not, that's not His purpose at all. He's there to affirm you, to remind you of who you are in Christ, to speak truth and life into you and to give revelation of of God's love. And so I hope that maybe answers some questions for you, and I hope it um, sets the stage for where we want to go, because I don't want you to, I don't want you to be afraid of, of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's amazing. He really, really is. He, I, um, I'm just so thankful for everything he, he does. He's just so consistent. I told you that story about how uh, I would pray that um, that I would disappear and that, that the Holy Spirit would just speak through me. And that's not a bad prayer. But I would also pray, oh, Holy Spirit, please, please anoint my words. And, and after a while, he just he said, you know, Max, I'm, I'm for you. I like you. I like the stuff you say. So even if you don't hear perfectly from me what to say, I'll anoint it anyway. Because I'm your helper. The word comforter actually means helper. It's paraclete. He's, he's our helper. He's our partner. Amen. Let's all stand up. Hope my prayer team can come down. I just want to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer for any reason, don't know Jesus, maybe you've never accepted him into your heart and been made righteous, the Holy Spirit's working with you right now, convincing you of your need for Jesus. If you need prayer for anything else, I've got wonderful prayer ministers down here, and they'd love to join hands with you and agree with you. I'm going to pray for everybody, and then Molly and I will be out in the lobby. We'd love to shake all of your hands. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you that he's exactly like Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is good and loves us and is for us and that the Holy Spirit is the same. Lord, we just release deep abiding revelation of these truths into your people's hearts. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.